This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Thursday, January 28, 2016. I'm Caleb Brown. Is the criminal justice system due for an overhaul? Alex Kaczynski, a federal appellate judge on the Ninth Circuit, says yes. He made his case at the Cato Institute in November. Uh, we've been doing the same thing. We've been doing criminal trials now for quite a long time. Uh, for basically hundreds of years, but uh, certainly the way we do them now for a couple of hundred years. And we make certain assumptions about the way the system operates, and it turns out many of those assumptions are just based on guesswork, on what we think is experience, um, and uh, what uh, uh, much of what we see uh, has been undermined recently by... by um, by science and by common sense, and um, there's troubling signs on the horizon. Let me start by pointing out uh, a fact that I I don't think a lot of people um, focus on, and that is that the United States is an outlier, is an outlier in the number of people it has in prison. If you look at the numbers uh, above, the United States with 319 million people has um, over 2.2 million people behind bars. Uh, that's a rate, which is the number on the right-hand column, of uh, 698, almost 700 per 100,000 population. Uh, compare that to other countries, like China, which is the next country that has um, um, uh, a large prison population. They have uh, about four times the number of people we do, but they have uh, much fewer people in prison. Uh, so their rate is something like 119 um, uh, per 100,000. Uh, the only one that's anywhere close to ours is Russia. Uh, but then you get uh, India, Brazil, Mexico, United Kingdom, Canada. Um, take a look at it, uh, cut this particular way. Uh, China has 90% of the global population, 16% of the prison population. India, with 17% of the population of the world, has 4%. United States, with 5% of the population, has just about a quarter of the world's prison population. That means that here in the home of the brave and the land of the free resides one out of every, out of every four prisoners uh, in the world. One out of every four prisoners. Um, now, we must ask ourselves, is our country that much more lawless than other neighboring countries? Are we more lawless than Canada um, uh, or Mexico? Uh, are we, uh, do we get better policing? Are we safer than, let's say, Canada uh, or United Kingdom? Um, in some places uh, in the United States, um, take a look at the bottom figure there, is Louisiana. That is the, the um, state of Louisiana with 5 million people has far more prisoners than Canada with 36 million people. Uh, the rate there is 1,000 per 100,000 people, which means it's over 1,000 per 100,000 people, is that more than one out of every 100 Louisianans is in prison. Um, I find that surprising and, and somewhat shocking. Now, the, in trying to figure out why this is the case, you can look, and one of the reasons is we impose much harsher sentences, much longer sentences for the same crime of a lot of other countries. And the question is, uh, is it justified? Is it justified in terms of the, the cost uh, to the human beings and to, the, to their families, uh, to the fact that um, the longer people stay in prison, the less likely they are to be integrated back into society? 
and frankly, just to the cost uh, to ourselves in terms of running these prisons. It's uh, $8, $8 billion for running the federal prisons, $80 billion a year uh, for running the state prisons. So um, this is just a warning sign. It's not, it doesn't, uh, it, but just put things in perspective uh, that there may be something wrong. Um, we have um, um, uh, now quite a bit of scientific research that casts doubt on various aspects of the trial process, things that we always took for granted, the perception and memory of witnesses, uh, and a variety of other uh, processes that we use during the trials. Let me, I don't have time for everything, but let me just focus on, on um, scientific evidence. We have, um, and we take for granted that somebody in a lab coat comes and uh, gives a report and says this is the case, uh, that, that, that is the truth, that is the reality. But much of what the science that goes on in the courtroom is not tested by Daubert standards. Uh, that Daubert is the case that Supreme Court has told us uh, should be employed when uh, admitting, uh, uh, deciding whether to admit scientific evidence in, uh, in, um, in civil cases. Uh, much of what we accept in criminal cases doesn't get put to that test. We just sort of assume it's, uh, it's valid. In fact, when various kinds of uh, scientific evidence is put to the test when there actually is a known sample and an unknown sample, and they test how quick, how often the uh, the experts get it right. There are tremendous uh, error rates. Uh, you can see the numbers up above. Uh, um, spectrographic voice identification worse than useless. Handwriting forty percent. Bite marks uh, worse than useless. Even fingerprint, which has been thought to be the gold standard for decades, they said, well, you know, they get the fingerprint, well, then they got you dead to rights. Well, it turns out even fingerprint, even rolled prints, when they, when they actually sort of test, um, uh, not, not latent prints that are left at the scene, but ones that when they actually roll them and to make sure they're perfect, both samples are perfect, uh, there's a significant, a non-trivial uh, error rate uh, that's shown, uh, that, that shows up. The, the, the uh, poster child case of this is when the FBI a few years back announced a 100% match to fingerprints found in a bag linked to the 2004 Madrid bombings. And they said the guys whose fingerprints it was was um, uh, Brandon Mayfield, an Oregon attorney. Well, it turns out that two weeks later, the Spanish investigators identified a different person with 100% match of fingerprints. And the FBI had to go back and, and um, apologize to Mayfield uh, for having uh, branded him an international criminal. Some of the stuff, some of the stuff, well, at least Mayfield got an apology. Not everybody gets an apology. Um, the, some of the stuff that gets admitted in our criminal trials, because again, it doesn't have to pass Darbert standard. There's no validation necessary. Somebody gets up and says, I'm an expert in how fire spread. Well, uh, Cameron Todd Willingham was charged with uh, setting fire to his, uh, this is down in Texas, uh, setting fire uh, to his um, uh, house, and um, his three children were killed, and they had an uh, expert, a so-called expert, come uh, and testify that the fire had to have had a, an accelerant, which I mean uh, gasoline or, or uh, kerosene, otherwise it would have burned in a different way. Well, it turns out it's nonsense. It turns out that that technique, which was then widely used uh, by people who are not experts, uh, by people who were firefighters and 
they drew certain conclusions on a, on based on their experience, not on scientific research, uh, but uh, there were many cases where testimony like this were given. Uh, in Mayfield's case, um, uh, the, he lost the race. Uh, to try to debunk the evidence. He was executed in, in 2004, almost certainly uh, wrongfully executed. Um, uh, studies done afterwards have unanimously said that the testimony in his case, the stuff that actually hung him, was just complete um, uh, voodoo science. Uh, now, that is the deals with the area of uh, simply uh, mistaken or, uh, or um, or um, uh, confused uh, uh, forensic scientists. One of the big problems is that many forensic officers, uh, many officers that do uh, forensic work for the police, view themselves as part of the prosecution team. They're not out there to determine in their minds to determine a, uh, a just result or the correct result. They are there to help build the prosecution's case. And that's just a very bad structure having uh, having uh, forensic officers uh, supposedly who are uh, who are who are uh, objective really being part of the prosecution team, and there are lots of examples. I've only listed a few of them on the slide of cases where uh, people in those offices have either falsified reports, have simply been careless, uh, or uh, just not bothered to do the work, and come up with a report pointing the finger at somebody. Uh, Melenkov from uh, Montana, and eventually from uh, at least three people uh, sent to prison based on 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 what. He, he turned out to have done that was not uh, scientifically sound. Uh, and Dukin um, uh, used to just sort of look at two things and say, yeah, those are the same things without testing them. And that implicated um, uh, uh, 34,000. I think the number has gone up to closer to 40,000 people uh, whose criminal convictions have been implicated because Anne, uh, Annie Dukin um, said, yes, uh, th those are two were the same substances. And you say, well, what about DNA? At least we're safe with DNA. My word, if we get a DNA match, at least we know that that is safe. Well, it's only as safe as the people who handle the DNA, as safe as they are honest, competent, and willing to uh, be objective. Uh, there are lots of examples of this. I just have to list the latest, where the San Francisco Police Department is facing accusations that the DNA crime lab technicians were filling the gaps for poor quality, incomplete genetic evidence, and passing them off as definitive test results in state's offender tracking database. Now, right now, this is just an accusation, although there seems to be quite a bit of substance to it. But there are lots of instances, including involving uh, the FBI, where the DNA, they simply muffed the DNA analysis because nobody uh, either didn't pay attention or um, rounded the results in a way as to favor the, favor the prosecution. There is an Inspector General report uh, involving the FBI where they looked at hair sample matches. Once thought to be, uh, you know, they said, oh, well, the hair came from somebody's head. That must be it. Well, it turns out that they now admit, the FBI, supposed to stand the standard for the entire country, that, 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 um, that, that um, in 95% of the 268 trials that they have reviewed so far, um, they overstated the match. They either lied or overstated the match 
including 32 in death penalty cases. And they are not done looking at it, but in 95% of the cases, they uh, took the side of the prosecution rather than coming up with an objective, um, uh, an objective standard. They specifically focused on a examiner by the name of Michael Malone, uh, whose conduct was uh, said to be particularly problematic, and um, uh, they admit that, but for Malone's testimony, one defendant would not have been death eligible, would not have been convicted of a death eligible offense, and three other prisoners who depended on Malone's, uh, Malone's conviction have already been exonerated, and they served, each spent more than 20 years in prison. Um, now, that is dealing with, uh, with uh, uh, the evidence. Now, let me spend a few words uh, talking about prosecutors. I had this quote in one of my opinions, and it caused quite an uproar. It said there is an epidemic of Brady violations in the land. I think most people here are lawyers and understand what Brady is, but for, for those who might not be lawyers and might not know Brady, Brady is a Supreme, uh, Supreme Court opinion that says pretty simply, if the prosecution has evidence that helps the defendant, they're supposed to turn it over. They're required to turn it over. And the, the, um, um, in case after case that I saw, I saw that this was not being done. Uh, and um, it, is, um, it must have hit a chord because uh, the phrase I used in this little opinion, um, um, way out in the West Coast, other side of the horizon, uh, was quoted in, in the New York Times, the LA Times, the Washington Post, Forbes, many other places. It must have struck a chord. Uh, and it, it's with good reason. Now, I should say, and I'm going to repeat this again at the end, I am not accusing all prosecutors. I've known, I know many prosecutors who are terrifically uh, scrupulous uh, uh, civil servants. They, they, they uh, uh, do their job honestly and fairly. They try to get a conviction only where there is proof, uh, overwhelming proof of guilt, uh, and they live up by ethical standards. But it doesn't take very many who, due to ambition or sloppiness or some other, uh, or just being misguided, um, wind up um, breaking the rules to create a real problem. Not only for those defendants, but it also creates a problem for the office because if one guy is getting ahead because he lies, it sort of makes it harder for everybody else, everybody else to be honest. So this is directed at the few bad apples. But remember what happens with a few bad apples if they are left to stay there. Um, the uh, examples of Brady So anyway, I was challenged both by my colleagues internally and externally. So how do you know there is an epidemic of Brady violations? And the answer is, I don't know. I can't be sure because by their nature, most Brady violations don't get found out. If the prosecution has a sculptory evidence and they don't reveal it to the defense, in most cases, it never comes out. But we have enough cases where it comes out where it ought to cause us to worry. Uh, there is the case of Senator Ted Stevens that was tried right here in Washington, D.C., and you know what happened there. The prosecution failed to provide, uh, provide um, exculpatory evidence, uh, and uh, he got convicted. He got convicted a week before the election, lost the election. The longest member, uh, 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 serving member of the Senate lost the election because the conviction came in a week before the election. Uh, eventually, uh, a uh, FBI agent blew the whistle and the evidence, culpatory evidence was discovered and um, the 
conviction was set aside. It's, uh, the, the whole episode, episode is uh, detailed in um, Sidney Powell's License to Lie. Excellent book with a superb foreword. <laughs> if you read nothing else, buy the book. If you read nothing else, the foreword will mesmerize you. I, I guarantee it. Uh, but uh, she talks about, uh, Sydney talks about uh, the, the Stevens case uh, and also about um, uh, some other cases, including, including uh, one of the Enron prosecution, uh, U.S. versus Brown, and, and Arthur Anderson prosecution, in various aspects in which there is overreaching. Again, I don't want to bro uh, brush with a very broad brush, uh, too broad a brush, because there are many, many, many. Uh, honest and fair uh, prosecutors in state and federal uh, law, uh, in state and federal court, but there are enough to worry about. Uh, there is uh, another one uh, high-profile case of the Duke Lacrosse case, uh, where uh, the uh, district attorney, you all remember the Duke Lacrosse case, uh, DNA tests were taken. This was a case of uh, accused of rape. They found DNA of four people, none of whom were a lacrosse player. Uh, the district attorney hid the evidence, leaving the defendants hanging there to be, to be vilified and to, uh, and to be, uh, to be uh, stand accused and having their lives wrecked. Uh, the, the DA uh, did some other terrible things. Eventually, uh, Nifon got, got disbarred. Um, there's a Michael Morton case, which ought to give chills to everybody. Michael Morton was convicted and served 25 years for killing his wife. This is down in Texas. And the reason this happened, or one of the reasons this happened, is that the Ken Anderson, the prosecutor, hid evidence. There was evidence of another man lurking out there that came from the victim's son. The prosecution hid the evidence. Now, this was before DNA came along. And when DNA came along, um, uh, Morton said, look, I would like to have some of the evidence tested because there were blood spatters and the semen. And I, uh, there, there was some sort of DNA evidence. And, uh, that could be tested, and said, I would like to be tested because I know I'm innocent, I will be cleared. Well, Ken Anderson, who by that time was a state judge, importuned the then current DA to not allow the testing to go forward. He did not want to have Michael Morton exonerated because it, he knew it would reflect badly on him and his perfidy would be revealed. It took six years for the courts of Texas to finally get the evidence that exonerated uh, Michael Morton. And what happened at that point is they discovered that the DNA actually pointed to another man by the name of Norwood. Norwood was tried and convicted. The tragedy is that while Michael Morton is in prison, convicted of killing, falsely convicted of killing his wife, another murder happens in the neighborhood. And now Norton, Norwood has been charged with that crime. Case is pending. I don't want to say anything more about it because it's a pending prosecution. Let me just say there's now very strong suspicion that Norwood committed this other murder. And if the police and the prosecutor had not hidden the evidence and had not focused on Michael Morton to the exclusion of anybody else, it is entirely possible that woman would still be alive today. Alex Kaczynski is a federal appellate judge on the Ninth Circuit. You can watch the full debate at our website, cato.org.